0: Good morning, everybody. I hope everyone is definitely as well-rested and energized as I am. I definitely did not watch Avatar till 1 a.m. last night. Three and a half hours. What a way to bring in the new year. Uh, I was checking my phone the whole time to enjoy the college football game scores. Only time I would ever pull out my phone in a theater. I hope whatever you guys did was fun and enjoyable. New Year's Eve has always been a Down to me. So, going to the movie theater was me and Claire's pick. But whatever you did, I hope you enjoyed. Hope you guys are rested. I'm excited to see what God has for us this morning. If you guys want to join me in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, that's where we're going to be this morning, starting our series called Fearless, a series in Joshua. We're starting Joshua 1, verse 1, going through verse 9. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Andrew. I get the privilege of helping lead our students and young adults here at AXIS. I get to be on staff, I never expected to, I never expected to preach, but I love God and I love how he changed my life and I believe his word can change people's lives. So if you want to join me in prayer and then pray that he would do that this morning through his word. God, we love you and I just want to pause just in gratitude of you, God, that our lives are not perfect, but I thank you for making us who we are giving us our strengths, our skills, our personalities. There's everything about us, God, that you know us, that you love us. Thank you for all you've given us, our lives, the air we breathe, this world, our families, our friends. And God, I pray that going in this new year that things may not be going so great, that you would be with us in that, and that you would also be with us in the successes That we would use both our successes and our trials for good, and that you would walk with us through them. We pray all this the only way we can pray, and that's through your spirit in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Now, what do you want this year? People talk about resolutions, 2023, we think about what we want in the new year, whatever that may be for you. When I think about want, sometimes we encounter, both in ourselves and in others, that on the surface level, we may want something, but deep down, we really want something else. Sometimes that will come up in arguments, right? We're arguing about one thing, but we really want something else, or we encounter that in other people. They seemingly want or say they want one thing, and we're like, but what do you really want underneath? That happened to me once on a date, not with Claire. Claire. And I have her permission to tell this story. But it's seemingly on the surface, I was told that this girl wanted to date the Christian way. And I was like, great, me too. Big fan of Jesus. This is going to work great. We had met. And then the next day, I had texted her about going on a date the next day. And so we set up a date. And uh, the next day, though, I woke to a shocking text of knowing someone less than 24 hours. It was good morning babe good morning babe do you want to date the Christian way or do you want me to like move in right now so you can roll over in the morning like good morning babe who says that I haven't known you longer than 24 hours I was like you know what let it pass the rest of the day I was working and I got a text after I finished working and it was hey I think we need to work on our communication skills do you want to go on a first date, or do you want to skip straight to couples counseling? All right, like, uh, communication skills, I have known you, once again, less than 24 hours. We proceed to the date. At this point, I'm hesitant, I'm, I'm trepidatious, I'm nervous, because I'm like, what is going on? It seems on the surface, what she wants is great, what she really wants, I don't know. We continue to date. On the date, I get the phrase, how many kids do you want? you want kids. Okay, that might be reasonable. How many kids would you want, hypothetically, like right now, like with someone like me? Do you want to date the Christian way, or do you want to date the 90-day fiance way? Because we're already jumping to four kids, like hypothetically, like right now, like with me. I was like, I really don't know, geez. And so by the end of the day, she could tell I was not feeling it, and she remarked, Gee, you must think I'm crazy now, don't you? And I was like, do you want to go on a date right now? Or do you want to skip straight to therapy? <laughs> like, What is happening? On the surface, it was just wanting to date the Christian way. It seems like it really wanted to skip to 90-day fiancé. And I think the same could be said of us. That on a surface level, all of us want a lot of the same things. What do we want? We want happiness, right? You always hear Uh, Do what makes you feel happy as long as you're happy. We all want a little more sleep, don't we? You never hear anyone say, man, I'm so glad I just got the adequate amount of sleep. No, no one seemingly gets any sleep. We're always like, I got no sleep last night. We want a little more sleep. We want a little more balance. We're seemingly always saying, I want to be on my phone less. I want to be on video games less, work less, be with my family more, friends more. We want balance. We want financial security, right? We want to be secure in what's going on in our lives. We want stuff to look forward to. When times aren't great, we want to have a vacation, something to look forward to an experience. If you're my parents that are now empty nesters, they really want grandkids to happen. and I'm like, not for a couple more years, <laughs> right? But I think deep down, if you drilled deeper, what we all really want is not just merely happiness, but joy. Because joy is happiness that is not dependent on things going well. That we want a little more sleep, but we really want rest. And I would love some rest every day and every week. And I would like joy that is present in all circumstances. We may on the surface say, I want a little less stress, a little less worry, a little less anxiety, what we really want is peace that passes all understanding, that if we are in a situation that everyone would look and say, you should be stressed, you should be worried, that we would somehow have peace in that that all passes all understanding. That we want security, but what I really want is eternal security. I want it to be anchored in something not in this world, but in the heavenly realms. And all the things deep down we really want are the promises of God, and I believe we want to fully experience them, whether we are aware of it or not, whether we are religious or not. We all, you, want to fully experience the promises of God. We all really want peace and joy and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, moderation, hope, security, and love no matter what. And how do we do that? Well, we turn to Joshua starting in chapter 1, verse 1, going to verse 9, and it says this. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you from the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Now, on the surface, you might say, well, this is a really cool story of, God's promises and God's story with Joshua and the Israelites, but what does this have to do with me? That a lot of times when we look at the Old Testament, it seems to just be these stories that are cool and inspiring, but how much does it have to do with us? But I think this story and this charge has massive implications for our lives. Yes, we are not being led by a leader, Joshua. Well, dang it, we are. We're not being led by a Joshua son of Noon, right? <laughs> Joshua Romano, maybe. But we are not being led by a leader, Joshua son of Noon. We're not being led out of slavery in Egypt, through a desert, into a promised land. We do have a Lebanon, but not a Lebanon. Now, what does this have to do with us? Well, if you translate the Hebrew word for Joshua into Aramaic, and you translate the word Jesus in Aramaic, Joshua is just a longer form of the name Jesus, Yeshua. So we do not have a leader, Joshua, we have a leader, Jesus. And we are not the Israelites, God's people, we are God's people spiritually as Christians. We are not being led. From slavery in Egypt, we are being led and delivered from slavery of sin, not through a physical desert, but a spiritual one, not into a promised land geographically on this earth, but into the promises of God and eternally. So the charge here and how to walk fully into the promises of God is not the same promises to us, but it is the best way to do it. And we find that charge in verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually, meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the charge to Joshua, and I believe it can apply to us. How do we fully experience the promises of God? I believe it starts at the very beginning when he tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. And then he links it back to himself. For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. He says it again, be strong and very courageous. And in verse 9, he says it again, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, linked back to him. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. To fully experience the promises of God, it starts by not merely acting or feeling, but being. Not just acting or feeling, but being. Notice what he says to Joshua. He didn't say act courageous. He didn't say feel courageous. He didn't say act strong, feel strong. He said be. That is what you fundamentally are. That is your state of being. It is not an act you put on or a feeling you experience. It is who you are. And I believe it's a similar charge to us. Who are we instead of who are we acting like or always feeling like? We're not always going to act spiritual, and we're definitely not going to always feel spiritual, but who are we? And we need to remember that as we walk in fully experiencing the promises of God. It reminds me of the hero's journey in every movie where there is always somehow a wise old master, Star Wars. Kung Fu Panda. And what happens? The wise old master goes up to the hero right before he's fighting the big bad and says, remember who you are. Remember who you are. And I think of Kung Fu Panda the most because Poe did not always act like the chosen one. He acted like an idiot a lot. He did not always feel like the chosen one. He felt like an idiot a lot. But Shifu says, you are the chosen one. You may not always act like it or feel like it. That doesn't change who you are. And the same is true of us. Who are we? We are children of God. We are forgiven. We are eternally secure with a heavenly anchor in God's throne room in Christ. We are co-heirs, co-inheritors with Christ. So how does that help us fully experience the promises of God? That when you are going through a difficult trial and you think, I am not strong, I am currently weak, you remember that God is strong in your own weakness because you are of a royal priesthood. When you think, I'm stressing, I'm worried about the future, I don't know what's going to happen, Remember who you are, that you are a child of God, and God cares so much for the sparrows and the lilies of the field. How much more does he care for us? You might say, I don't feel financially secure right now, but you are secure eternally, and nothing in this world will overcome you, for God is always with you. And you say, I don't feel very spiritual. I don't feel like I'm a good Christian, a good follower of God. But you are forgiven, wiped, white as snow, perfect in God's eyes, because, and who we are, it always links back to God. As Joshua was strong and courageous because of the promises of God, because of what God had done, so it is with who we are. Remember who you are, and that always ties back to God. I experienced this most presently, most visibly, uh, a couple years ago. And I was driving about 70 miles an hour uh, on a ramp from one interstate to another. And I'm not a very emotional guy, but this like really like messed with me, where like if I played like a racing video game simulator or Mario Kart, I would get like bugged out. There's no way to look more lame than getting... Weirded out by Mario Kart. But it's because I was in this very traumatic accident. So I'm going 70 miles an hour on this ramp from one interstate to another, driving my grandpa's truck, and my steering went completely out. Like, I'm not a car person, but whatever the thing that controls your tires, like slip, fell, completely separate, I had zero control, and nothing was going to change that. And I remember thinking, as time, like, literally slowed down, I understand now, because I had so many, like, thoughts I processed through... In probably a couple seconds. And I remember, one, I did not feel very settled. (laughs) I remember yelling. I remember freaking out. And I remember thinking, okay, I need to break as much as possible before I inevitably run into something. And then the third thought I had was, in the next couple seconds, there's high odds I could die. And I remember thinking that. And I remember not feeling settled, but I remember being settled. I remember being okay in that moment if I was about to die. I was, I was content. I was okay. And, and I, there's no other way to explain that besides I was eternally secure with Christ. If I didn't have that, I would be losing it. I wouldn't be settled. I would be scared out of my mind. And I see that so much more vividly when people, faith-filled people are going through sickness and and facing death and they're weak and you would think they would be weak, you think they would be scared and somehow they are strong and it does not make sense and God somehow preserves them through it and that them remembering who they are actually enables good to come from because people are inspired by those people. Remember who you are. It's not about acting or feeling. It's about being to fully experience the promises of God. Second part comes in verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Obey all the instructions. Do not deviate from them. So you might be like, all right, it's about being, but now we got to, you know, we got to do the right thing, and, and religion, church, it's about doing the right things and being a good person. No. At first glance, you may read that as, okay, obeying instructions, not deviating, and it may appear to you as it's about following the rules or being a good person, but it's not. It's about heeding the guidance of your counselor. Think of it like this. And I say all of this having been someone that's been to counseling. I'm a huge fan. I plan on doing it in the future. But on the surface level, why would someone choose to go to a counselor? Think about it like this. You're paying someone to give you more rules to follow and give you constructive criticism, which everyone loves getting, and you have to submit to them and Give up everything. You have to be vulnerable about your greatest insecurities, your biggest moments of weakness, and your greatest struggles. And you're paying them. Why would someone do that? I say all this having been to counseling. (laughs) Because to some degree, you are desperate enough to grow as a person, overcome a struggle or a thought pattern or a relationship that you are desperate enough to pay someone to submit under them because you know they are knowledgeable and that in your relationship with them professionally they care for you and want the best for you. And how much to a greater extent is that us with God? Why would you give your life up to have someone be your lord? That word means master. Why would you submit to someone as a servant for your entire life? Because You are desperate enough in your current situation of insecurity, self-centeredness, constantly trying to run your life, do your own thing. It's harming you and others, and ultimately you can't control that much in life. And so someone, because of that, would be desperate enough to submit to a wonderful counselor who is much more knowledgeable than they are because he did not just study psychology, but actually created the brain psychology is based on, that created the universe, that created you, and you would submit to that wonderful counselor because they know the most and because they care for you much more than any earthly counselor ever were. They love you, you were made in their image, and they died for you. That is why someone would submit to heeding the guidance of a counselor. Picture it like this. This is not my story, uh, but there was, allegedly in the 80s, there was a youth pastor, and he had a student in his group, and the student raised his hand in the middle of the service, and the pastor said, what? And the student said, do I have to stop smoking pot to be a Christian? And the pastor said, no. And the student was like, "I I don't think he heard me right, so he raised his hand again. And he says, do I have to stop smoking pot to become and be a Christian? And he said, no. And he said, I don't think he understands what pot is. So he raises his hand again, and he says, do I have to stop smoking marijuana to be a Christian? And the pastor said, no. And he said, I don't think he gets what I'm doing. The kid pulls out a fat one, a doobie, right there holds it up and says, do I have to stop smoking this to be a Christian? And the pastor says, no. And then he explained it to him in a far more eloquent way than I ever could. And he said, you are going to be in a relationship with God, and in knowing him more and loving him more, he is going to begin to change your desires and your convictions and your priorities. And when he convicts you on something, the two of you will work that out. That is this counselor relationship. It is not us putting on an act of being good or following enough rules. It is because we know that God knows what's best. We are desperate enough to heed his guidance because we know that he knows what's best for us and he cares for us. And that when we follow him, and notice it says all the instructions, then we more fully experience the promises of God when we fully follow the instructions. And I'm afraid that oftentimes we are mixing this up, and because of that, we're not fully experiencing the promises of God, because we do what naturally every religion does. So, a lot of people have this—I'm um, going to call it I don't know, a stereotype or a thought of religious people. Right? What's what's kind of the stereotype? They think they're better than people, they're judgmental, you hear it all the time. They're hypocrites, they're too judgmental, they think they're better. That's why a lot of times I won't tell people exactly what I do for work when I first meet them, which Billy Graham did the same thing, he told people he was a teacher. Because as soon as I tell people the word pastor or I work at a church, they either have an active faith, and it's usually positive, or they say, oh, so you're very religious. And when they say that, they don't mean the definition of religion, if you looked up a dictionary. They mean religious with all the connotations that come with it, because people have this thought of religious people, and it makes sense if you actually break it down. This isn't my thought, but it really blew my mind thinking about it. So every religion, and I'm talking about Christianity as far more than mere religion as a faith, every religion is either, one, I have followed enough or done enough rituals, traditions, and rules. I followed them well enough that because of me doing that, I have a closer standing with God, a better spot in eternity. I am more spiritual than you, more good than you. I have a better chance of reincarnating as someone better, or I'm going to get to nirvana quicker. Because of me following enough of the rituals and traditions and rules. Or, and or, it's I have done enough good things and I've done the least amount of bad things and my amount of goodness and my littleness of my badness enables me to have a better standing with God, a better spot in eternity, I'm more spiritual, I have a better odds of reincarnation, I'm going to get to Nirvana quicker. Every religion is based on either you doing enough good and a little enough of bad and or following the rules and rituals and traditions well enough. Inherently, of course that would make someone judgmental. Of course that would make someone think they're better than people because in their thinking, they are. Think about it. Inherently, if that's true, they are better than you or non-religious people because they have followed the rules better. Because of what they've done, they have a better eternal spot. Or because of their goodness and their littleness of their badness, they're closer to God, they have a better spot in eternity, whatever, what have you. But Christianity flips it on its head. It is not because you followed rules and rituals and traditions better that you have a better spot in eternity. It's not because of your amount of goodness and littleness of badness that you're closer with God. It's just because you're desperate. That's it. That is the only difference between me and someone who's not religious, that I'm desperate that I would submit to a wonderful counselor with my life. That's it. And when you are desperate, and when you have that relationship with the counselor, it is not a forcing yourself to follow his rules, but in knowing him, you know what's best for you, and that he cares for you, and that he's knowledgeable and God will prompt you with convictions that will help you fully experience his promises in your life. You will have more joy. You will have more peace. You will have more rest when you obey the instructions of God. It's a one-to-one. In caring more about others and focusing less on yourself, you will find far more joy in that. When you place your standing with God and have an eternal perspective instead of an earthly one, placing your meaning on the value of others, you will be far more secure and less worried. You will have far more peace and hope when you look at the world and you look through with a God lens and see that there is hope for the future, that good will conquer and evil will be avenged. When we obey all the instructions and guidance of our wonderful counselor, we more fully experience the promises of God. And final part is in Joshua 1, verse Eight, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate it on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The final part is centered on this. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. The third part of being able to fully experience the promises of God is that idea of meditating, of not merely reading a book and receiving information, but meditating, dwelling, absorbing. Imagine a pool of God's Word. You're absorbing in it. And God's Word was not written to know information, but to know God. And in knowing God more and more, we will begin to think like him. It's not about knowing information. It's about knowing him and thinking like him as a result. It's like when I was in a mattress store with my dad, and I realized something. I knew him better after this mattress store, and it changed my thinking on everything. I saw my dad write how much he made a month when I was a little kid, and I went home. I times that by 12, and I thought, holy smokes, we're rich. I never realized this before. My dad makes bank." he makes thousands of dollars. Thousands. I was like, we're rich. I went home. I was chilling. I was like, we're going to go about on a bunch of vacations now because I just found out my dad's rich now. We're going to get a nicer house. I went and got the Lego magazine. I circled every $100 Lego set because my dad could afford it because he was rich. Turns out my dad wasn't rich. Being an adult is just way more expensive than I realized, and you make thousands of dollars, but you also spend thousands of dollars on far less interesting stuff than Legos. But as I knew my father better, and it changed my thinking of everything, so when we know God better in reading his word and absorbing it, meditating on it, it changes our thinking. Knowing Your Father and His Word will not only change your thinking on doctrine, the Trinity, and prayer, it will change your thinking on politics, it will change your thinking on conflict resolution, your dating style, your marriage relationship, how you parent, it will change your priorities, your time management, it will change everything. You may say, well, Andrew, the Bible doesn't talk about a lot of those things, and maybe you would be right. But it does teach us about how we should think, the perspective we should have in our relationship with our Father, and that will affect how you think about everything. So that no longer when you approach a stance, a belief, a decision, will you process it through what, based on my priorities, desires, and convictions will I choose, you now will put on God-filtered lenses, God-like lenses, not that you being God, but thinking like him, and you will think through this decision, this stance, this belief, this choice, and you will think based on God's convictions, desires, experiences, and priorities, what decisions should I make and follow it up with yours. It will change your thinking on everything, and it will help you experience the promises more fully. Because when you encounter trial, you will see it not merely as an opportunity to self-pity, but as a moment that you can show your strength in God and be a cause of good for others. And when your friend approaches you and you're at the end of your wattage, your battery, and your energy, you will remember that we are to love others as much as we love ourselves and be there for them. That when you are tired out, that you would find rest in God. And that rest would give you energy to do what you must do that in knowing more about God and his word, it would change our thinking and help us more fully experience the promises of God. I'll close with this and three challenges. I have this friend, let's call him, oh, I almost said his name. We'll call him JB, okay? My friend JB was, it was a hot summer's day. What does everyone want on a hot summer day? A pool, because it's cool and refreshing. My friend, we'll call him Troxel. Troxel invites him over to go swimming at his pool, JB says, I didn't know Troxel had a pool. I said, he doesn't. No, I didn't tell him that. I let him go to Lair. So JB puts on his swim trunks, goes all the way to Troxel's house, walks around to the backyard to find a baby pool. Now, baby pools are technically still pools. There is water in there, and they are contained. But that water is not cool and refreshing. As we all know, it's interestingly warm. And there is not a whole lot room for fun and games. No one's trying to play Marco Polo in a three-feet-sized plastic turtle. Now, I'm afraid that is many people's experience with faith. They confuse the depth and richness of fully experiencing the promises of God, a deep in-ground pool for the mere baby pool of religion. And they walk away disappointed and say, I'm not very religious. I'm not about religion Because they have not experienced the full depth of jumping in an in-ground pool and fully experiencing the promises of God. So three challenges for us to fully experience it. If it's become for you more about acting and feeling than being, put reminders of who you are all over. On your phone, your wallpaper, your alarms, on paper, in your Bible, on your mirror. Remember who you are and in that way more fully experience the promises of God. It's not about being As it says in verse 6, if for you it's become more about being a good person and following rules, begin to shift your thinking about your relationship with God to that of heeding the guidance of a counselor. That when you obey all of his instructions, as it says in verse 7, that it would become about you heeding the guidance of a counselor who knows you and loves you. Have a counseling session with God. Tell him what's going on and pray that you would have convictions and desires that he does and that you would have the strength to follow them because he knows what's best for you. And finally, if for you it's become more about knowing information in Christianity and faith in church than actually knowing God and thinking like him, I challenge you to meditate and think on God's word daily as verse 8 says. You may say, Andrew, I don't have a lot of time. Do you have five minutes? No. Do you have three minutes? Spend three minutes. You might say, I don't like reading. Listen to an audio book of the Bible. Listen to it on your drive. If you don't have time, do that. You may say, I have a hard time understanding it. Cool. I do too. Start with an easy book to read, like James or Mark. You may say, I still have a hard time. Cool, I do too. You should watch a video. Like, the Bible Project makes really awesome videos that help you understand it better. Look up a commentary, either a book or online. Look up a blog that helps explain it. Look up a podcast. But dwell and meditate on God's Word every single day. Even if it's three minutes, even if it's an audio form with the help of a blog, a commentary, and a Bible Project video, I use most of those when I make messages and meditate on it, you will begin to think more like God and more fully experience the promises of him because I want to jump into a deep in ground pool. I'm not content with a baby pool of religion. I want to fully experience the promises of God. Let's pray. God, we love you. Help us just to follow you, to remember who we are, that we would heed your guidance as our counselor, and that we would begin to know you more and think like you, Help us as we do it. Give us the strength, energy, conviction, and will. Give us your desires. Help us to flee from temptation. Desire good. Protect us. Help us see your kingdom. We love you. We pray all this the only way we can pray, and that's through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.